0: Welcome to episode 39 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this.
1: Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns,
0: Today's guest is an award-winning executive coach with more than 25 years of team management, business development, and sales leadership experience. Early in her career, she was recognized for her ability to negotiate multi-million dollar contracts with senior executives of numerous Fortune 500 companies. Having mastered the art of high ticket sales, she went on to mentor, coach, and develop some of the highest paid, most elite sales professionals in the country, who sold well over $1 billion and counting. Every successful executive can cite a mentor or advisor who helped them bridge the gap from middle management to C-level leadership. Every business owner has relied on a trusted guide to make the jump from breaking even to breaking profit records. Having successfully navigated each stop on the journey to elite executive status, my guest's passion is in helping business owners, sales leaders and seasoned executives achieve the success they desire. Please join me in welcoming Stephanie Chung.
2: Thank you, Robbie. Thank you. What an entrance.
0: <laughs> well, you have a lot to share, a lot of stories. I want to thank you for joining me from your office in Dallas. And I want to jump right in. I know my audience is going to be curious to hear a little bit about you and your day-to-day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So, Tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
2: Great question. So to me, one word for me describes leadership, which is influence. I really believe that influence should be at the core of leadership because it doesn't matter about the title, right? You can be a leader and not necessarily have a title of a leadership type of role, but that doesn't mean you're not a leader. You can watch little kids in the playground and see who's the leader, right? (laughs) Based on their level of influence. And so to me, leadership is so important, but influence is the core. And how for me, you know, the second part of your question was, when did I discover that I had leadership capabilities? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting because I was brought up a military brat. So I say this because it really set the tone for my leadership. You know, I grew up around an active Air Force base. I was that kid that moved every two years of my life, and my dad was a master sergeant in the U.S. Air Force. So as a little girl, I would walk, hold hands with him, watch other people salute him, him salute others. You know, when I would stand there for the bus, waiting for the school bus to take off, you'd see, you know, platoons doing their exercises, six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. So I grew up around excellence excellence. Like the, the shoes were shiny, you know, the, the pants were, you know, uh, iron and, the, and and just like excellence in everything that I did. And that really formed my type of leadership. So though I believe in one of the things my dad told me when I first got my first leadership job, which I, which I hold true to this day, I was so excited. I wanted to be really good. I wanted to do a good job. And I said, Dad, you are a leader, you know, in the U.S. Air Force. What would you recommend for me having my first leadership position? And he said two things to me that I tell other leaders now. One, always protect your team. Two, always know there's two sides to every story.
0: Mm.
2: So that's the core of how I lead and how I've led, especially when I had teams that I had to leave, you know, all over the place. It was always, if you have a story, I want to hear the second side of the story. Uh And certainly, of course, whenever I'd had to go to the executive table or talk about sales numbers, because I was always a VP of sales, it was always protecting my team.
0: So early on, moving around, were you able to quickly, you know, you said that an example about children playing in the playground. Um, were you that kid? Were you the one who, like, showed up even though you didn't really know anyone? You, like, organized people to do things and organized teams. And were were you that kid?
2: I was that kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still that kid. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. I was that kid and I called myself and, and I, I literally still call myself this now. I was a professional new kid because I had to move around all the time. I was always the new kid. Right. So what it did, it was a blessing. You know, at the time, you don't think it's a blessing because you're always the new kid. You always have to make friends. You're always the one having to change. Right. But as an adult, I am so grateful for it, Robbie. I can change I'm what they call a change master, meaning I can change and just go through it really quick versus some people have to go through the six stages, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I can just whatever it is, it is what it is, and I can move on to the next thing. Right. So uh, so being that kid that always had to be the one to make friends, it helps me a lot with, you know, leadership communication. And that's, you know, one of the things I specialize in now, because when you're the new kid, you have to always figure out how to fit in. Right. Mm-hmm. If you come mm-hmm. and there's already clicks and already friendships and already everything's established. So I have to figure out very quickly, which, you know, goes into networking and all kinds of things. But I had to learn really quickly how exactly to adapt. Right. Not so much about what was my style, but more importantly, what was the style of the person in front of me? How do I adapt to make sure that they're comfortable so that we can, you know, form a friendship and so on and so forth?
0: Wow. That's so interesting because adaptive leadership really became like you know, part of our vernacular in the last five years, 10 years, maybe at most. And you, <laughs> you are telling me stories from before 10 years ago where you were like, yeah, that, that's, that is a great skill set for a leader because if you're not able to adapt the style of the person in front of you, they may never hear your message. So your influence will be for naught. So I think it's really great that you're able to tie that. Did you have at any point in those early years a formal title? Or was it all these informal opp- opportunities?
2: You know, well, when I was little, you know, little obviously I didn't. But once I got into corporate, then I did have sales director and then, you know, sales VP. And so, yes, the titles came with it. And with the titles gives you a little bit more grace, if you if you will. Uh, because, you know, mm-hmm. you have a VP of sales title for a private jet company. Everybody wants to talk to you, right? <laughs> so so yeah. a little bit just grace. But those times that I didn't have the title, I still had the the wherewithal to understand, you know, how and it's interesting. You mentioned something that I think is so powerful. People have to realize, once upon a time, and this is what I spend most of my time doing when I'm coaching my C-suite executives, no longer is it just about your technical skills those days are dead, okay? Dead, everybody, are <laughs> dead. It's really all about technical, we're, we're assuming you know what to do, mm-hmm. right? We're assuming you have a competency in the profession. What now most uh, uh, companies, and especially if you have your own small business, what's most important is what are your soft skills? What are your people skills? How do you communicate with others? You know, for me, you'd mentioned in my, my title that I do, I specialize in high ticket selling. One of the things that I teach people in high ticket selling is it's so much about Sellers have a style, but buyers have a style, right? They have a communication process and all that. So it's really important that you really shift. It's not about you, whether you're the leader, salesperson, entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's always about the person in front of you. So how do you adapt? It's not for them to adapt to you, right? But how do you adapt to make sure that whoever it is that you're speaking with is most comfortable, which means you have to communicate to them in a way that is their preferred style. Not your style.
0: Yeah. You know, another way I've heard this is uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Yes. And, <laughs> uh, you know, like, like if you're like, this is the way I do it, And it's like, but it's not going to work with all populations. You know, my background's fundraising and it's all the things you just said also ties to donor centered fundraising. I had some donors, they didn't want to meet. I would call them and get $5,000 of the phone and they were very happy with that. And other people, for less money, wanted to have a conversation in person. So you really have to not treat people in broad strokes. And particularly when you're doing this high ticket sales. I mean, like you said, you were working for a private jet company. Certain people are going to be very much your best friend in that industry. They're going to want to work with you. Um, but you're going to have to learn all those personalities. I, I, It sounds like your professional new kid background really was what suited you to, to doing that, to fitting in with all these? But you I guess what's really interesting is how, Stephanie, you figured that out, because like not everyone who's had that shared experience that you had. I mean, there's a lot of people who have the experience of being, you know, like you said, every two years moving, uh, particularly with a military family. But that doesn't mean that they then come out of it with the same mindset. It, what what triggered that for you? What what led to your like, understanding of yourself, I guess, is what I'm asking.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And and I don't know that I have the, you know, the the exact moment, if you will, that it all snapped and changed for me. But I will say that I one, you have to, you know, give credit where credit is due. My parents were amazing. Because think about that, trying to move, you know, a whole family every two years and this is just kind of the life that you lead. The good thing is because it was an active Air Force base that we were always moving on to, every other kid on the base was going through the same thing. So we were all used to being the new kids, right? And so therefore, when we go to school, we'd hang out together. And then you also, you know, there's, there is the flip side of that. So there's the positive, you're always in a new neighborhood. There's the negative too, which is, you know, I always tell people, I can't answer some of the most basic questions <laughs> when trying to sign up for credit stuff, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Where'd you grow up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What street did you grow up on?
2: <laughs> That's not It is the most difficult thing. It makes me break out in a cold sweat when I have to, like, oh, God, they're going to ask me all these questions. What's your
0: best friend's <laughs> name from childhood? <laughs> Yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't answer any of that. <laughs> but uh, but no, you're right. There are times that, you know, as it, for me, it was just I think it was really just a blessing. And I really believe that it probably was a part of what I was to become anyway. And maybe that's why it just resonated. And it was very um, intuitive for me to try to figure out how do I get along with this person or this person and this person? What's great though about that, you know, think of the world that we live in today is the fact that, you know, we know that diversity is good for business. We know that, you know, in the sheer fact of the numbers, it's good, whether it's a woman owned business or diversity on team and so on and so forth. But when you're that kid that's always moving around, regardless of your race and creed and religion and gender, you learn that it's really not about, you know, in, in the military, it's either you're a military or you're a civilian. It's not about whether you're black or white or Asian or Chinese. It's not that. It's either you're in the military or you're not in the military. And so not only did I move around and learn to be that professional new kid, I was the kid that didn't really know racism.
0: (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Interesting.
2: I didn't experience all that because we were all, you know, we'd all lived all around the world and just all that stuff. So it was really, it's a really different type of childhood and uh, and, and I'm grateful for it. Again, wasn't always grateful when I was going through it, but as an adult and as an executive coach now that specializes in leadership communication, mm-hmm. I can tell you it definitely gives me the unfair advantage.
0: I have 17 questions, but... <laughs> But I'm going to have to save some of them. What I really want to ask you is what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today?
2: Uh, That's an easy one. I love, Robbie, I love, love, love that I get to work with winners every single day. Now, picture that. All pros have a coach. Okay. We think of all pros having a coach when we think of sports, but in just today's, you know, world, you, everybody needs to have a coach. I'm an executive coach. By most coaching standards, I'm doing very well. And yet I still have coaches that coach me, right? School's never out for the pro. So I love that fact that every single day I get to work with people who are literally, they're already doing well. They're just trying to hit their full potential, Not everybody does that. So for me, it's a blessing because I get to work with them, not because again, they've already reached a certain level. They're already in the C-suite, right? So by normal standards, people think they've already hit a certain level. They already own their business, their business is growing. So everything by the outside looks like they've already hit success. But somewhere along the line for all of us, it twists, right? It's no longer about success, it's about significance. So what's really cool is when I'm working with my, you know, executives or my sales professionals or whoever it is that I'm coaching, I literally, get thrilled. Like I cannot wait to get out of bed because I get to work with people who are literally trying to live up to their potential, which is very different than trying to be your best. It's like we've all got potential. Most of us die with half of it, you know, still out there unfulfilled. But I get to work with people every day who are striving, focused and committed to literally living up to their full potential. So it's cool.
0: Wonderful to be surrounded by people with that drive because not everyone has that personal motivation. Um, I'm in the process of writing a book around networking at conferences and it's part of a a series and people always ask you like, who is your ideal reader, ideal client, all that stuff. And I came to realize that mine is, is someone who's so motivated to live up to that potential to, to take on personal and professional development and like with a zeal and other, you know, who wants to put into practice, The wisdom, the best practices and all of those things, because that's actually I wish that was more common, but it's pretty rare. So what a treat for you to be able to to have those clients come to you and to to see the impact you can have for them to reach that zenith for themselves. So the flip side, Stephanie, is maybe not today, but like thinking about a time when you were facing a challenge at work, like how did you overcome it?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've had a lot of those because usually, especially it's not uncommon when you're when you have a VP of sales uh, kind of role that you tend to come in when things are broken. OK, <laughs> so and you're there to you're there to fix some stuff. Right. So that's when it's really challenging and hard because, you know, sometimes not everybody's going to make it right. The, the team that's been together for a long time may not be if you're bringing if you're bringing in a new VP, it's because things need to change. So um, it's not uncommon that I inherited a team that I then have to make changes and, and, you know, take the team to its next level, certain things have to change. So there are times that I had difficult times where, you know, you're coming in and uh, especially for me being in aviation, let's say, I was never a pilot. And now when you're selling jets, usually 99% of the time, you're also a pilot. Well, I wasn't a pilot. And uh, and I didn't want to be a pilot. I think I took one pilot lesson and I got out the plane, threw up and said, I'll never do that again. (laughs) So, So I've never had a desire to be a pilot, but my results spoke for themselves. And so the challenge that I had was the fact that I'm taking over a team full of pilots and I'm not a pilot. And I'm making all these changes. And so a lot of them were just changes they weren't used to. They, you know, were, were, you've always got the group that's like excited about the change. And then you've got the group that's kind of puts their feet down and I shall not be moved, right? (laughs) So it makes it for an interesting time. So I've had challenges like that. Besides the obvious as well, I've had challenges because I was a female. It's a very male dominated industry. So, so that we don't even have time for all those challenges. But I, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a minority. And I think I'm the only minority at that level, you know, in the private aviation space, especially being a female. So I've had my share of challenges. But here's one thing that I will say, and this is where I come back to the military upbringing I never allowed any of those challenges to be an excuse, period, right? I really believe the philosophy should be no excuse, just produce. That's it. And so for me, I never allowed myself to to have all those. It's like, okay, yep, this isn't fair, true, but Still, so, you know, the mission has to be completed, right? So, uh, so again, going back to just the upbringing, some people, it's amazing and that's some of the things that I get to do with, you know, some of my, uh, co- my clients is to really challenge them because trying to get to your full potential is not easy. It's easy being mediocre. That's why to your point, most people hang out there, right? They're good with average. Maybe you have a couple of above average people, but for the most part, trying to work and live at a level of excellence, like your personal excellence is really tough. And so it's it's there are those days when people are having that moment when they don't feel like they're their best or what have you. And then at that point, I always tell them, listen, now it's a head game.
0: So I had the pleasure of interviewing Howard Putnam, uh, who um, was at one point the CEO of Southwest Air and saw them through bankruptcy. So his story was all about learning how to fly a plane out of the out of the fields when he was a kid. And, you know making his way into the aviation industry through any means necessary. For him, it was a baggage handler. He didn't even know what he was signing up for when he said yes. And then he went out, I think it was in Chicago, it was freezing, you know. And then he he just sort of realized that if he was doing uh, sales on the inside, he didn't have to be out in the cold. <laughs> so he, he got to the ticket agent desk for that reason. And, you know, wound his way up through... Um, What was your way into this, this industry? This seems like, like you said, it's such an insular industry as a family. I mean, from the way he speaks about it, um, how, how did you find your way in? It's so interesting.
2: Yeah, so, you know, okay, so growing up a military brat, specifically in the Air Force, I knew that I wanted to do something in aviation, like that much I knew. And so when I uh, got out, literally the first job I had was working for the airlines. So just like uh, your story there with Mr. Southwest, mine's the exact same. I started off at the ticket counter, (laughs) right? You know, next in line, that was me, right? And then from there, I would work the baggage uh, downstairs underneath the plane once in a while, just for extra money, because I was broke you know, so all those those ancillary things. So working the ticket counter, slugging luggage, you know, was another thing. And then eventually what happened is I moved up into sales. That was my first time I had to kind of break through uh, to that next level. Did corporate sales for the airlines for many years. And then from there got recruited into the private jet arena on the sales side. So I was in aviation for 30 some odd years. I worked for companies like US Air, American Airlines, Continental, Delta, uh, and then of course moved into the private jet arena and sold Learjets and Challengers and Globals and things like that.
0: (laughs) I'm sure you're only one of a handful of people I can talk to about that experience. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) So uh, there's a common struggle when anyone's striving for success. Of course, there's that fear of being wrong or making mistakes or even failing. Tell me about something you're not very good at, and how you deal with that.
2: I'm not very good at a lot of things, right? And and the good thing is I'm extremely good at being self-aware. <laughs> so when I suck in a certain area, I'm like the first to know it. And I'm not good in finance stuff. I'm not good on uh, any of the operational things. Just not good. I can I'm good on the numbers side. What is the, what do you need to close this? To do that, you know those kind of things. But on the back end, what line item does it go to? I'm horrible there. Uh, I'm not good in operations. I'm and my husband calls me an IT nightmare. Okay. <laughs> so I'm really not good on technical stuff, <laughs> but the reason why I have enough wisdom to say, you know what? I'm not good. I don't want to be good. If I tried to be good, I'd still be below average. So let me, ju- who do I write a check to, right? Let me just hire someone that can really capitalize on my weaknesses to help me be strong overall. And I think it's okay to not be good in everything. I actually believe in the biggest growth opportunities or the biggest growth I've ever had has always come after a major setback or some type of failure. And, you know, you and I I know we both speak from stage and whatnot. And one of the things that's really important to me whenever I'm speaking from stage, I never want to have anybody use the excuse that, oh, I can't because I'm not her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Lisa Nichols says, I'm not going to allow you to make me extraordinary because then that gives you an excuse for not getting it done. And I believe wholeheartedly in that. So whenever I'm speaking or on stage or any kind of big platform, the very first thing I do is I tell people about my fa- failures. I don't care what failure it is that day, but I'm telling them about it because it's important for people to see there's nothing special. It's just maybe what's special is our tenacity to not give up. Right. So when we get failure or we you know, fall backwards, we get back up, dust ourselves off and, and
0: press on. I think that's fantastic. And part of these this interview series is to give people an opportunity to sort of peek behind the overnight success that you are. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's right. the
2: making. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Um, I, I think that's what happens is that when people finally learn of somebody, they see it out of nowhere. Like, oh, wow. You know, and meanwhile, they don't know all the years of dedication. And um, someone was sharing a story the other day with me about how they um, – I wish I could remember her name off the top of my head, but she actually has climbed the highest peak on all the continents and at both poles. Uh, And so she tells a story of going through the South Pole and day after day trudging through this whiteness and not knowing even how much progress she was making, all to achieve greatness. And she was saying how greatness isn't about what you about getting there, it's about the steps you take every single day. And I, I love this visualization. I love the idea that like every day we do something to move us towards our greatness. And it's the people who take a step one after another, maybe incremental, (laughs) maybe giant leaps depends on the day. That's the people who are going to have the tenacity to, like you said, to really follow through. It's, And you get to work with those people. So that's even more wonderful.
2: (laughs) It's amazing. And yet, you know what? Because I do get to work with those people, I can tell you for a fact that they have their moments of fear and doubt and frustration, just like all of us but the difference is that they you know, they feel it and they push through it anyway. And sometimes that's, that may be one whole session that we're going through. You know, if they're going for a big moment, scary goal, then the closer you get to that goal, just by default, the more you start to get nervous and not want to, you know, you kind of want to retreat back to where you're comfortable. And uh, so, but pushing and going out of that comfort zone, it's really difficult, but anyone can do it. If you make your mind up, that's the difference.
0: So switching gears a tiny bit, when, when I think about the amount of time and dedication necessary to really succeed, and clearly you on so many levels have been succeeding in your career, there's the time in the office, there's the fact that we no longer have a lot of separation, that we bring our work home with us, we're reachable at all hours, especially with the high-level clients you're probably working with. With that in mind, what does self-care look like for you?
2: Mm, that's a good one. So every Sunday I get a two-hour massage. <laughs> Let me just start with that. <laughs> and uh, and on the weekends I completely shut and you know shut it all down. Uh, even when I get home. So here's here's how I structure my week. And I would encourage anybody that's listening, especially if they run their own business and whatnot. I am a big fan of not every minute of the day should you be working in your business. So I have a full client roster, plus I speak, plus I'm an author, plus I do TV interviews. I'm all over the place. But the fact of the matter is I spend Mondays and Fridays working on my business, not in my business. So I work on my business, meaning I don't see clients those days. Those are the days for me to mentally focus just on Stephanie Chung and Associates. That's it. And that's important because as you're trying to run, you know this, as you're trying to run a business and all the different demands that are on your life somewhere along the line, you can't be effective if you just run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Right. So being disciplined, knowing how to execute is really important, knowing how to prioritize first things first. But then also when I'm working, I'm working when I'm home, I'm home. Like, there is a clear separation. Now, my clients are all respectful. They all have my cell phone number. They know if it's an emergency, by all means, reach out. But, you know, they, they also, also live this same kind of life. We talk a lot about work life balance. Uh, it's like first or second session, because what I don't want them to do is achieve certain things in business and then their whole life falls apart on the other end. Right, that's no fun. So great, you got all this success, but your kids left you, you you know, your wife's gone, you know, (laughs) nothing's working. So that doesn't work. So for me, it's really important that I structure out my day or my week. I'm really focused on time management and having, you know, really good help around me. And those times that I recharge, like on the weekends, it's totally about me and my husband, and we hang out and I get, you know, my massage on Fridays, or sun, sorry, Sundays, it's all about me at that point. Because in order to give my best, I have to be my best. And so I don't take that lightly. I sleep, I do all the things I'm supposed to do, uh, so that when I get on stage, I can carry that 10,000 crowd room, right? When I'm sitting with the client and are this is really important to them, I'm 100% focused. But I do take the time to recharge and replenish because I think without it, well, one, I'll die early. (laughs) And then two, I won't be as effective for my clients. And that's not fair. They're really paying me to be 100% focused.
0: That's all fantastic advice. And usually when I'm asking this question, the guest tells me their aspirational goals around what they want to be doing better around (laughs) around this idea of uh, self-care. But it sounds like you really have some structures in place. And you mentioned sleep, and I really want to underscore that one because I think when people are working their way up the career ladder, they often let sleep kind of fall to the wayside. But it's become more and more talked about how much we need to have our hours in. And, you know, everyone has a slightly different amount they need, but we got to have some structure around getting it and prioritizing that because from from that, I think everything else can happen. I agree.
2: I agree. It it really does. And I mean, everything needs to, the body just needs to shut down and the brain, you know, the brain also needs to, not that it rests because it doesn't shut down. Thank God. Right. (laughs) But, but during that time is sometimes when you'll wake up and you'll have like a great idea, Uh right? right. It's just all of a sudden everything else is shut down and settled and it can help you a little bit for what it is that you're trying to obtain.
0: So part of this podcast is of course, talking about networking and building great networks. And Obviously, you've met a lot of people throughout your career. You've changed like you said you you ran through a bunch of airlines, some of which still exist <laughs> um yeah so but there's a difference between like collecting business cards and having that stack and I call that you know wasting your time networking where you just collect collect collect, and then nurturing a sustainable network. So what are the practices you have for actually staying in touch with people? either on a regular basis, semi-regular basis, reach out once in a while. Like how are you nurturing this amazing network you have sort of amassed over time?
2: Well, thank you. That's a good one. I networking is, is one of those things that we could talk forever about. I I I it, God, where do I start? Okay. <laughs> Here's my three rules when it comes to networking. One, I'm with you. When people have a bunch of business cards and they're like, okay, now what do I do with this? that's just been a huge waste of time. So here's my first three things when it comes to networking. One, I spend a lot of time before I show up anywhere to make sure that either it's my clients that are going to be there or people who have access to my clients are going to be there. So that's the first thing. And I always say this because I, I also coach coaches, right? And I tell them for what we charge per month, I'm really looking for the client that can afford an extra mortgage payment, not an extra car payment. Okay, so therefore, I'm not going to go to a networking event because it's a free lunch at Olive Garden. Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Nothing against Olive Garden. You know, I'm not above it, but someone that can afford an extra mortgage payment probably isn't at an Olive Garden free cafeteria network luncheon, right? So, so, you know, you have to be really mindful about who's gonna be there. Second part is I'm f- focused on where is the venue? Like where is this network? Again, if I'm looking for a client that can afford an extra mortgage payment, then I'm probably more inclined to go to something that's at a private club, or at a Four Seasons, or at a Ritz, something that would make sense that they would be there right? Now, when it comes to actually networking, then, you know, you've got to go in there with a purpose and a plan. Otherwise don't go, you know? (laughs) And so when you do finally get those folks that you could offer value to them, they can offer value to you, you have a mutual beneficial relationship perhaps in the making, then yes, it is important to spend the time and to cultivate that relationship. So remember I made a comment saying to you that I make sure that I work in my business on certain days and on my business in certain days. Well, when I, right now I've got a full roster, but you know, those times that I was building my business, what I would do is I would take those that Friday. And that was the day that I would spend cultivating those networking relationships, right? I learned this early on in my private jet days, you can go to a nice hotel and be there and run like seven appointments from that one hotel. (laughs) So, you know, hey, let's meet for breakfast at eight, right? Let's meet for coffee for somebody else at 10. Let's meet for lunch at noon, right? Let's meet for, you know, mid afternoon coffee for someone else at Two, someone else at four, someone for dinner, someone for drinks. I can knock out seven appointments sitting in that one spot, cultivating the relationships that I, you know, met through a networking uh, process or event or what have you. So I, I think that that's important. The second thing is when you're networking, it's really about what do you, I hate when people spam me, And what that means is you come up and you shove your business card to me and you start rattling off all this stuff that you do. And you've never asked me a question. You don't know if I need what you've got to offer. It just, it's so insulting, right? I hate it. So, so many people don't really do it the right way. I can't wait for your book to come out because it's going to (laughs) be helpful for everyone because there is a protocol and an etiquette to how to do it correctly. And so at least for me, you know, how I cultivate that is I do spend a lot of time making sure that I'm building that relationship. If it was, worth having the conversation and worth exchanging the cards, then I'm going to now be diligent and make sure that I'm constantly uh, cultivating that relationship. It's always me coming to them from a service perspective. Hey, how can I help you? Hey, this person I thought you would want to meet. Hey, you know, I saw this. I thought you'd be interested. I'm just giving, giving, giving because I know somewhere along the line, the law of reciprocity is going to kick in and they're going to want to give in return.
0: That is so true. Last week's episode uh, is titled PSA, Stop Spraying and Praying.
2: <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have a few examples of uh, the, the bad case scenarios of networking that I've experienced. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it seems so ineffective. And, and what's interesting is, I think the people who are doing it are giving people in general a bad name you know and it's like sales like fundraising is about relationships so the quality people who really get that they're going to rise to the top right and everyone else is going to take a stack of business cards and just deal them out you know indiscriminately and then ask for yours back and then add send add you to a mailing list and it's like uh, (laughs) ugh. why it's so ineffective so my my books this particular book is focusing on conferences so a lot of what you already described is really the same, like about planning ahead and making sure there is, you know, what, why you're going and, and who's going to be there. But is there a practice you have for how to really make sure you're making really strong connections at the event itself?
2: Yeah, so, you know, well, actually, there's a couple things. I like to actually have as much of the conversation because usually when I'm going to an event, I'm not looking to meet a 100 people, right? <laughs> it's usually, you know, a couple people that you're very focused in on meeting. And so during that time, I'm not going to spend, you know, their whole time kind of hoarding them in a corner because let's face it, we're all there to to meet different contacts. But at least have and with the appetite enough to see if a there is a reason for us to continue the conversation what i like to call offline right Mm -hmm. so if we're there that's great we're there for the event and the networking and whatnot but to have the conversation so i'm going to start let's say i don't even know if this is going to be a good person there are certain questions that i'll start with just to kind of warm them up before i jump right into hey what do you do right i hate that
0: (laughs) amen (laughs)
2: <laughs> and so, you know, get into the conversation a little bit. And then from there, if if again, the the synergies are working well and it's all, you know, coming together, then we'll, me and you, we'd want to start taking the relationship a little bit more offline and then have a, you know, place that we can talk that's a little more quiet and so on and so forth. But there's, there is such a protocol with the networking. But I want to bring up something as well, Robbie. Networking also, there's conferences and there's big public events, but there's also how do you network? within your organization, right? So if you're trying to get to that C-level or that next promotion, all that is one big networking event as well. It's just done on a daily basis. And so, and it's important because when the time comes to get promoted, your decisions about your career, you will never be in the room when those decisions are being made never right so it's important that your brand speak for itself and what does that mean well that means that you had to have networked the brand how you know is your work excellent is it on time do you get along with others you know all that stuff what does your personal brand represent so networking is not just outside in the you know going into a cold market you also should be networking internally as well for that next promotion so on and so
0: forth you know um dori clark is a guest also on this podcast and she talks a lot about even if you're not an entrepreneur, it's about how do you stand out within your company? And it could be performance related. I think always that has to be excellent. But it could be other things like you step up to take on some role. You (laughs) could be the person who organizes the annual picnic. I mean, you know, it's just that when your name comes up, people are like, oh, I know who he is. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I know who she is. And then, then it's not just finding a mentor, but I think it's also important to find a sponsor and and women have learned this of late that it's not enough to have someone who coaches you from behind, but someone who says your name at the moment that it needs to be said because they're in the room and you're not. And they have to be like, Oh, Stephanie would be great for this position. So yeah, that's all networking. I talked to people about that quite a bit and I I think you're right. And thank you for underscoring that we're kind of wrapping up here. with The last couple of questions. If you had the opportunity to speak to your, yourself at, Let's say twenty-five years old, what kind of advice would you be sharing with yourself to encourage building a strong and supportive professional network? What have you been telling yourself to do?
2: I would I would tell myself to actually get really good at it. So now I'm good at it at my age, but when I was twenty-five years old to your you know, to, to your question, I was not very good at it. I knew a lot of people and I was friendly with a lot of people, but it wasn't a strategic thought process in regards to networking. You know, real quick, I I know that you know that I went to the did the Harvard Women Leadership, you know, business. And one of the things that we learned was about networking. You're going to love this. And there were three things that we talked about. Now, mind you, the 200 women that were invited there, we were top, you know, level women. We were all invited to this place. So it wasn't like there was a thousands of us. There was 200 of us, right? And the Harvard professors talked to us about networking. And, and other things, but networking was a key. And I remember that when I stuck and I remembered so much because they gave us a story about a gentleman who, now these are Harvard professors, so they said, we can't say the gentleman's name because if we know, you guys would all know the name, right? Uh, publicly held company, this gentleman was in the C-suite and the CEO was retiring. The CEO decided that he, this COO, would be a good uh, successor. And so this was like, you know, great. This guy ran a great department, his numbers were always in, his team got along great. You know, there was really nothing negative about him. Well, the gentleman called the Harvard professor devastated because he didn't get the job. And he didn't get the job because when the board was asking his peers, other C-levels, so the CFO, the CSO, the CMO, right? Asking his peers about him, they all said, He's a nice guy, but I really don't know him that much. Wow. Wow! So the board said, "How if you've been working side by side with these people for years, and they don't know you that much, how can we then expect you to lead them? So when we think about networking, and what I would have told my 25-year-old self is to really cherish those relationships and to really cultivate them, so that when the time comes, as you get older, you know, now I run my own business. If I would have cultivated some of those relationships better before, it would have made a big, tremendous impact on my business as an entrepreneur when I first started out because I'd have a warm list to start going to, to say, hey, I'm doing this, you know, would love to see how I can serve you, is anybody that you know, so on and so forth. I didn't have any of that. I had to kick it old school, right? (laughs) And thankfully I, you know, was able to build the business, but man, had I known what I know now, I would have absolutely been mindful about the networks that I, the people that I gravitate towards. I would have been giving and giving and giving and not just seeing the relationship as a kind of a quick hit. You know, oh, I know them, I do business with them now and then move on to the next thing. And quite frankly, Robbie, I'm still surprised till this day how many people don't really understand how important networking is. I get a lot of recruiters, I send a lot of people their way, you know. And, and then they'll say, oh, thank you. We just, you know, Steph, we hired your friend, uh, whoever, it's a client I may know, and he's now the CEO. And nowhere along the line did the person, the recruiter, the executive recruiter, this has happened so many times, that I've given them the name, they hire the person, I don't get a thank you card. Not that I did it for that. But it's these are little things so that if you're always coming to me when you need something, then eventually that relationship's going to get tainted because I'd like to know that I'm not being used. Right. And when you cultivate relationships from a networking perspective, and if you're always giving, 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 then the person knows you're not trying to use them. But if you're only coming in to get then that's really not a good networking partner. It's not a good partnership. Period. Right.
0: <laughs> this is uh, this is a, actually a practice that I think we can have our listeners think about it on lots of levels. The idea of the importance, I should say, of closing the loop. So even if I if I were to introduce you to somebody, and then that person and you do some sort of business together, or some referral happens, they're like. Both of you should be like, hey, that was great. Thank you so much. Because I don't know, like it takes months for these things to sort of evolve sometimes. And I, you know, but how nice occasionally you just get that thank you. And, you know, if you actually wrote a letter or if you sent a gift basket, if it was like a big deal, you know, project, like make it a big deal. Thank you. I, yeah, I tell you, I it really kind of slowly burns bridges. I think, you know, it kind of eats away or erodes the the possible friendship there, the possible positivity if over time, you know, the giving – I am with you. I've practiced the philosophy of abundance. I put it out there. I know I'm going to have everything I need because I've got a great community around me. But, yeah, there's a way in which, you know, just acknowledge that I helped out. You know, like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Or at least to your point, even if you just tell me, you know, yeah. a lot of times what happens is the client, the the person who got recruited or whatever will call me and say, hey, Steph, thanks. But the recruiter is the one who made the money. right? Yeah. <laughs> They're the ones that should be calling saying, hey, Steph, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's all. That way, to your point, the loop is closed. That's huge. Make sure that's in your book, Robbie, because that is like the golden nugget that so many people miss that part.
0: Well, hopefully they are listening to this podcast. Since we are on C-Suite Radio, I hope they're tuning in because it's so important. You may know you're listening to this show along
3: the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You heard him. Go subscribe. So if we were to meet a year from now and you were telling me what an amazing year it has been, what accomplishments will we be celebrating?
2: Oh, thank you for that. So my goal, this is, you know, this is one of those things that only my close inner circle knows. I am so focused on being, you know, the next Brian Tracy, who's my personal mentor, or Marshall Goldsmith, who's another one of my mentors, or Tony Robinson, who I don't know, but I look forward to meeting one day. Uh, <laughs> so I think that when you think of the, the performance strategists that are out there, the, the coaches of personal achievement, all those different things, they're, um, they're all, they're, quite frankly, there's a vacancy. They're all men, right? There's really no women in that space and so I'm excited and that's what really like me and my team are working towards is let's change the dynamics up there so that we have there's more women starting businesses there's more women in the workplace there's more you know so women sometimes we, we, we are, we're a little we're a little uh, under underserved in that market as far as uh, reaching the top echelon from a coaching perspective and performance strategists and you know executive coaching and things of that nature so I'm really focused in on getting to that level uh, as as my mentors are at. To really try to make a big difference on a national and global scale not just for women but for entrepreneurs in general you know running a business is tough work and it's that's the kind of stuff you don't really learn uh, until you're in the thick of it right but we, oh my gosh could we help learn with some of the basic strategies on how to run a successful business so that's my passion point high ticket selling is my passion point you know a lot of salespeople are just kind of thrown into sales but they really don't know what they're doing and therefore they don't hit their number every time all the time which should be what's expected and then of course you've got the C-suite who I love but they've got a lot of demands on them but you know it's important that they know how to communicate with people no longer can you communicate by fear and that old-school stuff you have got to figure out you know there's four generations working right now you better know how to communicate with people effectively so I have a lot to do a lot to share and I'm excited about I've got the energy and (laughs) the wherewithal right now so my goal is a year from now you and I will be talking and you'll say step i just saw you on xyz and xyz and you're on you know the top this and top that and i'll say yes robbie i am <laughs> and
0: i will say you're an overnight success
2: <laughs> that's right 30 something <laughs> years in the making
0: <laughs> so how can people find you or follow your work
2: Sure. So the easiest way to catch me is stephaniechung.com. And on stephaniechung.com is where, you know, I'm speaking or if there's any books out or any programs I'm doing. And, you know, of course, if you're looking for coaching, always reach out for sure.
0: Excellent. Well, I will have links in the show notes to all the different places to, to find you and follow your work. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. This was fun. I appreciate you having me.
0: I'm very pleased to share that On the Schmooze is on C Suite Radio and wearing very good company as one of their headliners. C Suite Radio is a hub for business podcasts, and you should check it out at c-suiteradio.com to discover other business podcasts. It's part of C Suite Network, and they also have C Suite TV, where you can watch in-depth interviews with business content for leaders and entrepreneurs. The good news? It's all on demand. Check it out at c com and c sweetradio.com. Now, on to this week's show. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Stephanie Chung. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things that stood out for me was Stephanie's emphasis that success is no longer just about having great technical skills, that it's really all about soft skills. If you're aspiring to be in an executive position, you're probably very good at your job, technically speaking, but are you ready to lead? What would your peers and other departments say about you? Would they know who you were? Stephanie's story about the COO who didn't get selected for the CEO position because the rest of the C-suite executives didn't really know him, well, that really drove the point home for me. No matter where you are in your career, you need to be developing your relationship-building skills. Now, Stephanie and I are in very different places in our careers, so my coaching clients are willing to pay an extra car payment a month, not an extra mortgage payment a month. But I aspire to reach my full potential and be in good company with Stephanie and her mentors. Reach out if you'd like to set up an introductory session. be happy to chat with you. Speaking of networking, did you catch that tip about meeting in a nice hotel? If you're an entrepreneur who works from home, or your office doesn't exude the high quality you want associated with your brand, arrange to meet with clients at an upscale hotel restaurant. You might not have Stephanie's stamina to host seven meetings in one day, but... It's that drive and determination that led her to win sales awards while closing multi-million-dollar deals. Apply some of her tips to your life to move towards your audacious goals. And I know we talked about this just a moment ago, but I wanted to underscore the importance of closing the loop. If a colleague takes the time to introduce you to a contact in their network, your colleague will be wondering if the connection proved beneficial or not. Now I know life gets busy And this step often gets lost in the shuffle, but over time, you're going to be eroding the goodwill being offered by this colleague. A simple email might suffice, but if the introduction landed you a great job or a six-figure client, then up your game and send a thank you package. In episode 30, I shared details so that you know the step-by-step process for writing an effective email introduction. So go check that out to sharpen your intro email etiquette. When you're on the receiving end of an introduction, remember to always close the loop. It's really important to stay in touch with people even when you don't need anything from them. You're not gonna find a lot of support if you only reach out to your network when you need help landing a new job or have a new product to sell. Figuring out who is important to stay in touch with and then actually staying in touch with them is often difficult, but it's become a lot easier now that I use Contactually, a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they're offering my listeners a free 14-day trial, no credit card required. But let me know if you sign up for the free trial because I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com invite slash That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot invite Slash schmooze S C H M O O Z E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode thirty nine. If you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C Suite Radio at C sweetradio.com where you'll find on the schmooze in good company with other C suite radio headliners. Do you host a conference or convention and want your attendees to feel that your event was incredibly valuable? because of all the connections they've made? I work with associations and companies to design events that increase engagement and create a welcoming culture for all attendees, especially your first time attendees. The result is that long time attendees, presenters and board members have a host mentality and all attendees have the tools to strategically build relationships and their professional network while at your event. If you wanna increase ROI for your attendees and therefore their retention, Email me and we'll schedule a call. You can email me at robbie at com. That's R-O-B-B-I-E at R-O-B-B-I-E-S-A-M-U-E-L-S dot com. I want to sincerely thank all of you who have already subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be sharing some tips about how to approach those tight networking circles at events. Until then, have an amazing week.
2: in an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other.
3: Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to
2: theartofswaypodcast.com, find the show at marketingpodcasts.net, or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.